Now tonight we're going to talk about treasuring God. And in particular, we're going to talk about why that is so important. Why that is everything really to our walk with God and needs to be uh, ultimately the primary motivation. And we're going to see that from the book of Nehemiah. We've we've observed in the life of Nehemiah in particular in chapters 3 and 4 of that book how the people had a mind to work even though they had such extraordinary obstacles in front of them. They had people who refused to help do the work in rebuilding the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, They had people who were insulting them. They had people who were discouraging them. They had people who were causing confusion. They even had people who were having physical confrontations and even attacking them uh, to such a degree that they were even having to set guards and carry swords to defend themselves because of these external attacks. And when you come down to chapter 5, the shift goes away from observing all of the external difficulties that were going on to do the work of the Lord. But now we're going to focus on some of the internal difficulties. We're going to look at some of the problems that the people were facing among themselves and how they were treating one another and really zero in on how Nehemiah handles that, how he goes about solving these problems are highly instructive. And as I mentioned, his motivation for doing what he does really sheds a lot of light on how we need to walk with our God as we try to do the great work that is before us. Let's read these first uh, seven verses of of Nehemiah chapter 5 and notice the problem that is going on for the people at this time. Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. Let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself and brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. Notice a a problem that now arises among the people internally. And we read in in verse 2 that we see here that we have a a struggle for food, a a very serious situation. There he says in verse verse 2, here we are with our children and we have many sons and daughters and, and we need grain so that we can eat and keep alive. That's not hyperbole. Uh, what you read about there in the next verse in verse 3 is there's a famine that is going on. And to be able to deal with that famine, they're having to sell their houses, they're selling their property, they're selling their vineyards, they're selling their fields, all to be able to try to get money to be able to buy grain to have food. 
On top of that, another outcry is given there uh, in verse 4 where it says we've borrowed money because there is this heavy taxation from Persia that we have to pay these taxes. And so we're mortgaging our fields to be able to generate money either to buy food in the middle of a famine and to pay the taxes that are going on at that time. So you're getting a picture of a severity that, that's going on. Verse 4 even indicates we've borrowed this money uh, for this king's tax. And you will notice in verse 7, it talks about the problem of interest. And the interest is coming back upon them. Now, from what I can read, the interest would have been back like when you had a bad credit card about 30, 40 years ago. And you're running around a 20% interest rate. A pretty high interest rate is coming back upon them as they are trying to buy grain and using their property as a means of collateral to do these loans. The striking feature about all of these problems that a famine and there's no food and we have interest and we're trying to, to mortgage our fields to be able to pay for it and to pay for the taxes is that you'll notice that Nehemiah observes in, in verse 7 that the problem is this is happening from their own people. This isn't that the Persians are saying, all right, we, we got you over a barrel, so you're going to mortgage us your things and we're going to charge these heavy rates on you and, and good luck to you, hope you can survive. It's actually their own people that are doing this to each other. And that's why you see in verse 6 this picture of, uh, of Nehemiah just being completely outraged by this. Because this charging of interest that is going on is causing, according to verse 5, it, to uh, put them in slavery. Verse 5 says, we're forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. This is the only way we're going to pay these heavy debts. Since we're mortgaging our fields and we have these loans and we have this money to pay for grain. And now you've mortgaged all of your property. So how are you going to pay your loan? You have to put your family into slavery. So they're going to go work off these debts. And so they're saying there in verse 5, our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. What they're saying is, We've been enslaved for all of these years, and now we've come back to the land, and we're no better off. We're back in slavery again. We're having to sell our family to be able to pay off these debts and to be able to pay, pay these loans. In fact, he says in the middle of verse 5, already our daughters have been enslaved, and it's not in our power to help because we don't have our property anymore. We've already mortgaged it. So Nehemiah is outraged. And I want you to see why Nehemiah is outraged. First, just on the bare surface of it all, what a lack of compassion you are seeing of these Jewish people in treating their Jewish people. And here we are in the middle of the famine and we're suffering and we're mortgaging our fields and we're just trying to pay our taxes and get through and have some grain to eat for our family. And you're seeing that some of the people are taking advantage of each other. Not outsiders, not other nations, not the Persians. Their own brethren are doing this to each other. And that's one of the reasons why you see Nehemiah outraged. The second reason why is that this is a direct, direct condemned sin by God. Let me show you some of the places where this is repeatedly said to never do. Deuteronomy 23 verse 19. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother. Interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. 
You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest that the Lord your God may bless you and all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. That one is pretty clear. He just says, I don't care what was lent to you. Don't charge interest. Don't charge interest. Don't charge interest. You want to do that to the foreigners? Fine. You can have normal business transactions with them. But amongst your brethren, do not take a loan and charge interest on that loan. Leviticus 25 and verse 35. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him. And as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. So notice again the emphasis, no interest, don't do interest on food, you're supposed to support, you're supposed to help, and you're not supposed to enslave them. Even if they sell themselves to you to pay the debt, you don't treat them like a slave, but rather a hired worker. Exodus 22, verse 25, if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Three books all say, don't charge interest. Don't treat it like a business deal. Don't treat them like like some outsider. Treat them like your brother. Show compassion. Don't enslave them. So here is this outcry in the days of Nehemiah. And it is clear that the people are doing exactly what God said that they were not supposed to do. This is not what was supposed to happen. You're not supposed to charge interest. You're supposed to support them. You're not supposed to make them your slaves. And yet that's exactly what is going on as they're mortgaging their fields and their vineyards and their houses because of the famine to pay for the taxes, to pay for food. And in verse 5 they say, we are forcing our children to be slaves and some are already enslaved at this point. So this is why Nehemiah in verse 7, it says he gets the charges together against the officials and the nobles. And he says there in verse 7, you are exacting interest each from his brother. You can just see him going, Exodus said not to, Leviticus said not to, Deuteronomy said not to. What are you doing? Because God specifically said not to do that. Now watch what happens. Into verse 7, I held this great assembly against them and said to them, we... As far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. And they were silent and could not find a word to say. And so I said, this thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day the fields, the vineyards, their olive orchards and their houses and the percentage of money, grain, wine and oil that you have been exacting from them. 
Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and I made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so also may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep his promise. May he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. I want you to notice how Nehemiah then handles the situation that is brought to his attention and how he confronts this sin. I think the first thing that is so interesting is Nehemiah explains something that's going on that is really insightful. Nehemiah says in verse 8, as far as we have been able to, here we are buying out of slavery our Jewish brethren. And you all are putting them back into slavery. It's almost like, what am I doing here having to buy them back out? And you're the ones putting them back into slavery. I'm trying to rescue the people. And you're the one that keeps enslaving them. And so amazingly, <laughs> you have there in verse 8 where it just says, they were silent and could not find a word to say. Well, what, you think? I mean, what are you going to say to that? Here's Nehemiah showing some amazing leadership and is trying to set as many of them free as possible only to find out it's his own brethren that are getting them enslaved in the first place. And notice how he puts this before the people in verse 9. He says, not only is this thing that you're doing not good, but verse 9 he says, ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? I want you to really hang on that question why are you not doing what god has commanded why are you not walking in the fear of god here we are doing everything we can to set the people free and you have no fear of god in fact notice in verse 10 here he says we've been doing everything i we can not only to set the people free But here we are lending money to them to try to help only to find out that you're taking interest and enslaving the people. You're doing the very opposite of what we have been trying to do. And one of the things that is uh, amazing is this great response of repentance. We'll return the interest. We'll return the fields. We'll return their houses. We'll return their vineyards. We'll give them their goods, their money all back. We will absolutely follow The word of the Lord, a great response of repentance takes place here as Nehemiah confronts the sin directly and says, we can't be doing this, my friends. We need to walk in the fear of God. That becomes really the the controlling theme to the rest of this chapter, as well as to the whole of the chapter, as we're going to talk about the fear of God and treasuring God here as we look at look at these things. I want you to notice what Nehemiah describes at this point because here is this picture of how the Jewish brethren have been taking advantage of their own people and Nehemiah now reveals how he has been going about as leader over this land and how he has tried to do things differently listen to how different he is verse 14 moreover From the time that I was supposed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I 
nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. Former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jewish and officials, besides all those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. I want you to notice the, 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 the picture of Nehemiah's leadership in this circumstance. One of the things that he points out is that for 12 years, he did not take this food allowance that should have been granted to him as governor over the land. Now, we didn't really know that he was governor. He's actually holding a very important position here over, over this uh, Judean area that has been appointed to him by Artaxerxes. And so here he is as governor, and for 12 straight years... He doesn't take any of that portion that was given to him, any of that food portion. And you'll notice verse 15 explains prior governors laid all kinds of heavy burdens and took their daily ration and took these 40 shekels of silver. And even the servants lorded it over the people. And I want you to notice the very next sentence is that's not what we did. When I came. I did not take advantage of the people. I did not use my position to try to get what I could get out of the people. I did not domineer the people or lord it over them. I did none of those things. I think it is a beautiful picture that is given to us is that he acted so differently from former governors. He didn't put heavy burdens on the people. He didn't take what he could have got out of them. He didn't try to lord it over them. He didn't try to get the maximum and say, all right, you guys all need to pay up. It's another day, 40 shekels to me. He didn't do any of those kinds of things. He never looked to take advantage of the people, even though the other governors had. They were trying to take advantage, tell them what to do, be in charge, lord it over them. Now, here's the big question. Why did Nehemiah not do what was the precedent? All of the prior governors, he said, did this. They all took their food ration. They all put the heavy burdens on. They all were domineering and telling them what to do. They were willing to do all of those kinds of things, take advantage of the people. And Nehemiah says, I didn't do that. And you'll notice that verse 15 says why. Because... The fear of God was on him. The fear of God was on him. That is what dictated what he did. I think it is interesting to think about that idea for a minute. That he says there in verse 16, I persevered in the work on this wall. 
You know, Nehemiah is governor of the region. He could have sat back in a comfortable space and told all the people, hey, get out there and do the work. Won't you get to work? I'm going to sit here in my nice governor's palace here and you guys get to work. Do the work on the wall. Nehemiah says, I didn't do that. I was out there with them. I was also participating in the work on the wall. He says there in verse 16, we acquired no land. Oh, they like to do that, especially back in those days, rulers, you know, got to expand the property, got to get more land. So many Roman emperors love to do that, expanding their palaces, expanding their land and taking other people's land. You know, I remember Ahab, he wanted Naboth's vineyard, just keep expanding the palace, taking property, taking. He says, I didn't do that. I was the governor. I could have said, OK, I need that property, you know, eminent domain. It's mine. I'm going to use it Didn't do that. He says, I didn't acquire any land whatsoever. You'll notice in verse 16, it also said, all my servants were either gathered for the work. My servants weren't even serving me. I had them on the wall and they were also participating in the work. And not only that, did you catch verse 17? So here he is with the go- as a governor and he's not taking the daily food allowance that the governor should receive and he's not taking in that money. And yet he says there every day, Verse 17, he would feed at least 150 of his Jewish brethren and even not counting those who were coming from other nations who would be fed every day. Verse 18, and he prepared that at his own expense. He did that with his own money. He took care of those things himself. That was the compassion that he had for these people. He did not look at them and go, all right, what can I get out of them? What can I tell them to do? What can I make them do? What will they give me? How can they serve me? He clearly has come to serve them. He has compassion on them. He cares for them. He is helping them in this work. And it is really just a beautiful picture of the leadership and compassion that Nehemiah has for these people. He shows himself to be radically different. From all of the governors and all of the leaders who were before him. You are seeing in in Nehemiah the beginnings of what would be a foreshadowing of the kind of leader who would come in Jesus to rebuild and care for his people. Who is doing the work and not taking advantage of the people and showing compassion and caring for them. Nehemiah is is expressing that because of his fear of God. Now, there's two things I want to look at tonight. There's one main point, but I I want to talk about this side point over here because I think looking at this trait of of Nehemiah is really important. I I think it'd be a, a big mistake on our part since Nehemiah has a lot that is spoken about how he handled this circumstance and the reason why he acted the way he did and the kind of treatment that he gave and the kind of leadership that he had, I think is really important. Because you have Nehemiah leading the people with compassion and not taking advantage of them, not sitting back and telling them what to do while he doesn't lift a finger himself. He shows generosity. And friends, I want us to observe in Nehemiah this very important truth that I think is found all throughout the scriptures. It is exemplified here and it is absolutely exemplified and taught by Jesus. Leadership is always 
by example. Leadership is always by example. That's what Nehemiah is showing here. There is no other real leadership than doing it yourself. Leadership is not about telling people what to do. And leadership is not wanting people to listen to you. Leadership is actually being willing to be at the forefront of the work that needs to be done. That's what's being pictured here by Nehemiah. It's a beautiful picture of what leadership is supposed to look like. And if we were unsure of that, the Apostle Peter said the same thing. 1 Peter 5 and verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising authority, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And watch, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's exactly what Peter said. Peter said, leadership is not telling people what to do. Lording it over people, domineering is that very attribute. Telling everybody what to do. Peter says, that's not what we do. Nehemiah goes, that's not what I did. Now, what did he do? He was an example. And that's what Peter says is what leadership as a shepherd is supposed to be, is a leading by example. And I think that is such an important statement that is given to us here, that leaders do what what needs to be done, and they ask the flock to follow. The idea of a shepherd is not to stand behind all the sheep, taking a rod and driving them, In a particular direction. The idea of a shepherd is to be at the forefront. And leading in the direction. Looking for the sheep to follow behind. That's what Peter's talking about. And I want you to see that's what Nehemiah is doing. All of the other governors were different. And he says, I didn't do that. I didn't take advantage of the people. I didn't try to get what I could out of them. I didn't do it for maximum, take advantage of them. I had compassion on them. I did what was in their best interest. I was trying to set them free. I was trying to help them. I did what was for the welfare of the people and what was in their best interest and not his own. That's the beauty of what leadership is supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to be. And friends, I think this is such an important characteristic. So much so that when we have appointed our shepherds, our leaders here in times past, what we have always done is looked around and said, okay, so who are the ones who are already taking on leadership roles by caring for the flock, serving the people, being spiritual leaders in seeking the lost in helping those who are among us? Who are already showing those characteristics of being a shepherd and then recognizing those people and putting them in place? I think so often what happens is we go, all right, let's just find a guy who, all right, they're older. And we go through 1 Timothy 3 and they've got that, 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 that. And nobody ever asked the question, 
Are, are they living a life that is caring for the flock and shepherding the people and seeking the welfare of them and doing what's in their best interest and serving them? Because if they're not, I don't care about all of the other qualifications. They're not acting like a shepherd. They need to have that kind of compassion for the sheep. They need to have that kind of desire to do what is in their best interest and to seek their welfare and want to be at the forefront of helping them and leading them in the right direction. I think that's why the people respond to Nehemiah the way they do. When Nehemiah confronts the sin, they all don't rise up and go, well, who do you think you are? They responded with a repentance. Why? Because they've seen in him that he cares for these people. He's choosing his own money to buy them out of slavery. He's feeding them as best he can. He's not even taking the allotment that was rightfully to be given to him. He doesn't do any of those things. He clearly shows that kind of leadership and that kind of example and that kind of compassion. And it was not hard for us to see that that's exactly the model that Jesus gives us. Doing what's in the welfare of the people, serving the needs, doing what's in their interest, not our, not his own. It's a beautiful image that's being given here by Nehemiah. It is the trait of leadership. And that is what we should be striving for as we do this work that is before us here in this area. But let's get to the main point. Why did Nehemiah do what he did? Verse 15 says, because the fear of God was on him. Why did he not follow precedent? Why did he break the mold? Why did he not do what everybody expected him to do? You know, that would have been a pretty easy path. Everybody would have expected him to take his his daily ration. Nobody would have blinked at it. Nobody would have said, oh, okay. That's what they all did. What made him do something that was so radically different, even beyond what the people expected? And I want us to see that that's the idea of fearing God. This idea of what it means to treasure God. That Nehemiah cared more about the reverence and the fear of God than he cared about seeking glory from people. Than he cared about what he could get from the people or what financial gain he could receive or what kind of reputation he had before. He didn't care about that. All that he cared about was being able to have a reverence for God. That's what controlled his life. And him being controlled from a treasuring of God in his heart rather than being controlled by power or by possessions or wealth or greed or any kind of other fleshly desire is what moves him to this decision. Now, here's why this is so important and why it's the focus of our study as we're coming to a close. Because treasuring God is everything. Because it is the only way for us to truly be dead to sin and alive to God. Now, here's what I mean by that. Nothing else is going to keep you from sin. Peer pressure, positive, good, moral peer pressure isn't going to do it. Because you could always find somebody to agree with your sinning. You know. 
and say, oh, I'll just surround myself with good. You know, you can find somebody who will who will praise you for your, your sinful behavior. Accountability won't keep you from sinning. You're always going to find moments when you're alone. What is going to be the motivation to keep us from sin so that we can be alive to God? To put it in terms of Nehemiah, Nehemiah could have done whatever he wanted to do and there would have been nobody who could have said otherwise. He's the governor of the region. And if he said, uh, 40, 40 shekels of silver, I'm going to make it 50. He could have. He said, I'm not going to feed 150 people every day and it's not going to be by my expense. He could have. He could have said, I'm not working on that wall. You work the wall. I'm the one that got the paperwork done around here. You should just be grateful for that. He didn't do that. He didn't say, my servants are not working for you. I'm paying them to work for me. They're going to take care of me. He didn't do that. Why is Nehemiah so different? There's only one reason he did what was right. He feared God. He treasured God above all else. That is the only way to have victory over sin is that you treasure God above all else. That you choose to treasure him above any of the other temptations and sins that come your way. When they are put before you, you go, I don't like that as much as I like God. I don't love those things. I love God. I don't fear those things. I fear God. I'm not going to honor those things. I honor God. There has to be developed within us such a deep relationship with God. That when Satan puts the thing before us, the temptation, the sin, and immediately we're going to go, I'm not going to do that because I fear God. Did you notice that's what Nehemiah was saying? He comes to the people and says, what are you doing charging interest? Why are you sinning? Don't you fear God? You know, aren't you afraid of what I'm going to do to you? Who cares about that? Don't you care about what God thinks? That's his his whole motivation. He cared more about what God thought. And that's why he was standing against sin. And that's why he didn't act like the other governors. And that's why he didn't take what was even could have been apportioned to him because he saw it was too burdensome. And that's why he had compassion on the people. And that's why he cared for them and why he stood side by side and why he led by example is because he feared God. Because that is what mattered to him most. Friends, I'll put it this way as well. The strength that we need to serve God can only come from treasuring the Lord above all else. The strength that we need to fight temptation and to live for the Lord comes only from building a real relationship with him so that you come to a point that you love him more than anything else. Until we get there, something else is going to win. That's what's happening when we fall, is we are loving that sin more than God. We are treasuring the sin more than we treasure God. And that's what Nehemiah is exposing for us this evening, is that we need to treasure God if we're going to be dead to sin 
and alive to him. How do we do that? Let me quickly end with this point. It's those various disciplines that God has given us that bring that relationship together. It seems monotonous. It seems mundane. It's not magical. It's not waving a magic wand. It's not something special. It's as simple as this. Be in the word of God constantly. Pray to your God constantly. Meditate on the things of God constantly. Develop that relationship. And the more you come to treasure and enjoy God as you live in his powerful word and depend upon him through prayer and have your mind set on those heavenly things and meditating on those things, you will begin to treasure him more than you treasure the things of this world. God did not put these things in place to see, you know, we all going to get to heaven one day and he's going to go, okay, so how many times did you read through your Bible in your life? Oh, not even once up, oh, you're going to hell. That's, you know, you're out. That's not why that's there. Sometimes we treat these things that way. You know, well, you know, did you pray every day? Well, then you're not making it. That's not why God gave us worship, the Lord's Supper, prayer, Bible study, uh, lessons, teaching. Why did he give us those things? So we develop a relationship to the point that we would love him more than anything else. It's not that those things are supposed to be a burden or a checklist or I have to. It's the means by which you can overcome the world. It's the means by which you'll be able to live different. That you'll be able to say no to sin. And that you'll be able to say yes to God. Treasuring God is the answer. Nehemiah could have made any decision right here and nobody would have been any different for it. No one would have cared except God would have, and that's what Nehemiah cared about. And that's how we win in the battle of sin. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is so easy for us to treasure physical things. It is easy for us to be caught up in our passions and our desires to be caught up in the cares of the world and treasure physical things, to treasure wealth, treasure power, treasure all these kinds of things that can be put in front of our eyes. Lord, all of us here want to treasure you above all else. All of us seek you above all else. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our hearts so that we would be dead to sin and alive to you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our desire for you. And Lord, help us to see our need to build a stronger relationship with you. Lord, help us to see when we fail at temptation that it is a place of weakness where we need to draw closer to you, an area that shows us that we need you more. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us in these disciplines and habits that you've given to us. We thank you for worship. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this body. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can talk to you and pray to you and meditate towards you and that we can have these songs that can resonate in our mind and to keep our minds pure. Thank you for all these 
various disciplines you've given us so that we can draw closer to you. Lord, help us use them and forgive us when we haven't. And we pray, Lord, we would be far more stronger in our relationship towards you and our desire to you than we have in the past. And Lord, we pray that we would treasure you above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll sing invitation song. Nehemiah is amazing, and uh, I am excited about some of the things he's going to do next. Some great pictures of what it looks like to live for God in a turbulent world and in times of difficulty. We encourage you to think about his example. If we can help you in any way in getting your life right with God and getting back on the right track, uh, we want to help you do that. We're here for you in that. Just let us know. Or you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.